Hey there, do you love pet content and want more of it? If so, please hit the subscribe button. Your support helps keep this content free and lets me know you're enjoying the show. So please hit that subscribe button and maybe even give us a review while you're at it. Thank you. There is nothing better than bringing a pet into your life and seeing him or her become a beloved member of your family. They incorporate themselves into everything we do and provide love, comfort, and companionship every day. That was the case for my good friend Dan Ruddy and his wife Melissa when their little guy Chief came into their lives. Chief was an 11-pound Chief Sheba. That's a Chihuahua Sheba mix. He was an abandoned street dog when he found us. He went everywhere with our family. He was our sidekick on every vacation from the shores of the Great Lakes to the Florida coast to the Carolinas to the top of the Rocky Mountains. For more than a decade, Chief was a key member of the Ruddy family. But no dog can live forever. And after more than 10 years of bliss, things naturally started to decline for Chief. In early 2020, when he was around 13 years old, Chief started to show signs of aging. And over the course of that year, he went completely deaf and had trouble even walking around the neighborhood. My wife changed his diet. Uh, he took daily medications and we had Chief do some physical therapy in our pool to keep him active. But somewhere around the spring of 2022, he developed a severe anxiety. In the last six months of his life, Chief required 24 hour care. And we could tell that he was in a lot of pain and no longer able to do the things that he once loved doing. We knew the end was near, but no one wanted to make that decision. My wife spent many sleepless nights in tears holding her little boy until nothing more could be done to make his life better. We had researched a lot of different end-of-life options, and in the process, we discovered Lap of Love. They are a nationwide network of extremely compassionate and empathetic veterinarians who help pet parents care for their aging pet. And when the time comes, a Lap of Love veterinarian will come out to your home and help with the difficult transition. Our little boy, Chief, passed away on October 26, 2022. He was around 16 years old, and Lapa Love veterinarian Dr. Lauren Rodriguez came to our home, and despite the difficulty of the situation, she made us feel extremely comfortable. Saying goodbye is always hard, and the grief is real, but the end doesn't have to be quite so painful. Lap of Love helps to create a beautiful and peaceful transition for our beloved pets, and the work the Lap of Love vets do is remarkable. After the break, we'll talk to the founder and CEO of Lap of Love, Dr. Danny McVitie, about the incredible service her company provides. Plus, she'll share some tips and advice for pet parents who are worried about or currently facing the end of life for their pets. Please stay with us. While training my puppy, Teddy, I've been using a few kinds of treats. By far, his favorites are blue sizzlers. These bacon-style treats are made with real USA pork as the first ingredient, and wow, does Teddy love them. And I do too, because they're easy to tear into small pieces for training. If you're looking to up your treat game, get blue sizzlers wherever you buy pet treats. And don't forget to download the Buddies app to earn points on your purchases. Dr. Danny, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Um, this is a this is going to be a tough episode, I think, but a, a one that is super important. And the work that you all do at Lap of Love is indescribably uh, incredible. Yeah, thank you, thank you, and and hopefully, hopefully, we'll shed a little bit of light on it as well. You know, I think you can't you can't do this work without having a, a little bit of humor and 
and particularly seeing the the light parts of of what we do and the happy parts and kind of focusing on those. So for sure. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I mean, we just heard a story from uh, somebody I know very well. His name is Dan and his dog Chief, who passed away in uh, late 2022. And, you know, the, these are the stories that hit you really hard. You know, the you see a life of a pet and how that, that pet impacts the pet parent. And uh, to be able to have a beautiful and graceful and loving way to say goodbye to them is something, a debt that nobody can repay. I know Dan is eternally grateful. Mm -hmm. And um, personally, I used Lap of Love just recently with my dog. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> it was the best thing that I ever did for mm -hmm. my dog. So glad to hear that. Because watching him go peacefully was the best thing that I could have asked for for his last few days, his yeah. last, well, his last few hours, I guess. Oh, that's so nice. It is. It's, it's that one last gift. And, you know, you hear, I think that's almost why it gets, still gets me choked up so much is because doing, doing this, we come into a family's home for this short amount of time. And, and, you know, if, if we did know all those stories, I mean, it would, it would be so difficult, you know, obviously, but it's, we get to be part of that in this tiny little way. And the, we don't know what these animals mean to these families on a day-to-day -day basis and how they came into their lives and what they represent. Sometimes these, these pets represent uh, phases of their lives. They represent other people. They represent, you know, um, decisions that were made in the past and that kind of thing. And so they, they represent things to us and not only just the love that they give us just in general, but you know, we have this odd thing as humans is that we we want to care for our animals and we're required to care for them in a, in a great capacity. And so giving them this peaceful end of life closure is like this last gift that we give them in response to that daily unending, unquestionable love that they give us. And so I think that that's what the, you know, the, the that gift really is about is just, I'm not going to let you suffer. I'm not going to make this hard on you. I'm going to make this as easy on you as it can possibly be. And, and I started out doing emergency medicine. So it's, it's interesting too, because even when people can't maybe necessarily afford a long drawn out, you know, let's say thousands of dollars of going to a specialist and not that that's even going to many times even save your pet's life by any means. Right. But what's interesting is that they will, they will happily, you know, spend that time and it's not, has nothing to do with money, but it's, it's about where you do put your effort as a pet parent. And you may not put your effort, again, it's, it sounds terrible, but it's not meant to be that way. It's like, I'm, you know, because I've had a lot of families that are like, I'm, I did the oncology route before. I'm just not going to do it again. It was drawn out. Mm -hmm. It was long. It was, it, was, it was tedious. It was tough to get him to the clinic once a week, once every other week, whatever it was. But this I can do. You know, yeah. this is that last experience that I can make perfect. And I'm going to do that. Yeah. And I did, I wanted to talk to you about your history and the transition that you made from you were an emergency, in emergency veterinary medicine, and now you're doing a lap of love. So I want to talk about some of the, some of the things that led you to where you are now, if you could give us kind of the trajectory that you were on. 
Yeah. You know, and it's, it's nothing that I set out to do. I, I think a lot of us, you know, can say that as that now I'm 41 years old. So I, I think many of us can say that, like, I didn't, I didn't mean to do this, you know, right. But I, I did always mean to be a veterinarian. I always want to be a veterinarian. I just, it was, it started out for me as just the a job that I could bring my dog with me, you know, every yeah. day. And I didn't want to like leave my dog as a kid. I'm like, I don't leave my dog at home every day. Why would I do that? So I wanted to be a veterinarian. And then when I, when I graduated, I went into emergency medicine and then I found myself very good at talking to people and all veterinarians are in it for the animals. If you ask mm-hmm. all of us, we all loved animals first and then we love people next, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, but so all of us love the animals, but there's a smaller percentage of us that also love the people. Mm-hmm. And I found that I really enjoyed it because in emergency medicine, someone is coming in at, let's say like 10, 11, 12 PM at night, you know, 12 AM, whatever. And I found that no matter what it was, I liked walking into the room with a client and talking them down from a, I'm freaked out mm-hmm. place to a, it's okay. We're going to handle this. It's fine. You know, everything's going to be okay. And even if it wasn't going to be okay, I can still have a conversation with them that help them understand why it wasn't yeah. going to be okay. And a lot of people blame themselves. There's a lot of guilt in, in emergency medicine because they feel like they waited too long, mm-hmm. particularly in 2009 when the economy was crashing and people didn't have enough money to take their- Couldn't pet. afford it. Yeah. Yeah. To the GP anyway. There's just a lot of guilt. And, and I, I enjoyed removing that from people's shoulders and saying, it doesn't matter if you had a million dollars, there's just nothing that you can do in this situation. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, even if you did have that money and I could send you some, so it, it doesn't matter. So I liked giving people peace of mind and that led into end of life care. So let's say somebody comes in on a Friday and they know their pet has a terminal illness. You know, you've got chronic renal failure, you've got advanced arthritis. I mean, I could go on and on. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of conditions that somebody with a 14, 15 year old dog, just like your friend, Dan, you know, they already know their pet is declining, Yeah. but maybe their husband, wife, son, daughter come home on Saturday, Sunday, and it's Friday. And can you just give me some pain medicine to get them through the weekend? Mm -hmm. Can I just get a couple days? Can we just get them through Christmas? You know, whatever it is. And so that to me became hospice care. And I had volunteered with human hospice for a little less than a year when I was in college. And they take you through this volunteer training and it's really fascinating. And human hospice is just this incredible methodology of practicing medicine in which you can care more about what type of ice cream the patient wants than you do about whether or not they took their pills. Right. So it's just this approach to medicine that I really loved. And I kind of brought that into the ER. And then I had just this wonderful boss that would allow me to then go to the homes of people. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And there was this one euthanasia where this lady said, please just let me keep them on my lap. Don't take them off my lap. And it was this beautiful, you know, and I, that's not necessarily what we're taught to do in school. We're taught to bring them into the Mm -hmm. back, place an IV catheter, then bring them back in. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. You know, that's what I want for my own animal too. Right. So that's where the phrase lap of love came from. And, you know, the history is kind of from there, but I never thought we would get this big ever. I mean, you are huge now. I mean, it's such an incredible organization that you've built because I, and I'm sure other pet parents listening have heard the horror stories, like when people take their dog into the vet and they know, and it's just the worst experience they've ever had. Multiple people have told me like, this is going to be the worst experience you ever have in your life. And don't get me wrong, putting Ozzy down 
was hard, but it was beautiful at the same time because he was, he had his head in my lap. He was just sitting there and it was so beautiful to see him finally like not be in pain, to finally not be, you know, whimpering, to to be at peace and to have him with me while that was happening. It was more than I could have ever asked for. Yeah. Um, so I thank you for, for helping me avoid the quote unquote worst experience Aww. that you'll ever have. What I have found and what I talked to other doctors about so much is that when people say that, when people say it was a terrible experience last time, they don't mean necessarily that the doctor did anything wrong. No, absolutely not. What happens is that it's a terrible experience driving to the clinic, getting out, right? (laughs) Walking to the clinic, being in the room. Mm -hmm. And then the worst part, getting back in your car without your pet. Without the pet, yeah. And driving home and getting home and then in your traffic and you're crying and Mm -hmm. you've got your empty leash in your hand. And uh, the ER that I worked at, the front was complete glass. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching people walk out to their car after euthanasia and they would sit there for 15, 20 minutes before they, you know, could drive home. And I always just felt, oh, felt so bad, you know, for them. But yeah, it's, um, it's amazing. I think what's, what surprised me the most is that there are other weird doctors out there like me that like it yeah, and that are very fulfilled by this type of work. I was told by many, many people, both professionally and, you know, and, and just lay people that you couldn't do this full time. You'll never be able to do this full time, but it's very different. But in this type of work, we, every single client hugs us and says, thank you. And I can't believe that you did this. And this was the biggest gift that anyone's ever done for me. There's such fulfillment that comes from this type of work. And I'm just honored that there are so many other doctors that, that feel the same. Yeah. And, and pet parents who are grateful beyond measure um, that this service exists. And I want to talk now kind of the harder parts of this for pet parents listening. We all, if you have a pet, you have probably gone through this at some point. It's t- toward the end of somebody, uh, your pet's life. How do you know when it's time to say goodbye? What are the some of the things that you've seen uh, pet parents go through or pets go through and some of the stuff that you kind of, how you help guide clients. Yeah. So every pet is different, right? And every family is different. And not only do you have the pet in the family, but you have most importantly, the pet's disease process that's going on. Mm-hmm. So how I coach a family that has a pet with advanced arthritis, a dog with advanced arthritis is very different than a cat with congestive heart failure. Mm-hmm. So there is not one one statement at all, obviously, that's going to answer that question for you, but it's more of a combination of things that people need to be aware of and to think about so that they know how to, how to get the proper help from their veterinarian. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you also that a veterinarians, we're humans, right? So yeah. all of us are different and all of us have our different strengths and weaknesses. So if you are working with a veterinarian that you don't necessarily think can talk to you the way that you want to be talked to at this point, then you are completely within your right and desire to go find somebody that focuses on hospice and end of life care. And I will tell you that those of us that do this type of work have a very particular skill in that type of work. So I just, I want everyone to know that, that you need to have a doctor that's very comfortable with this conversation. But going back to, you know, how I know it's time. That disease process the pet has is the number one most important thing. 
because there are some diseases that are going to string on for a very long time. Right. Um, canine arthritis, obviously feline arthritis as well. Uh, chronic renal failure in cats can go years. They can live for mm-hmm. years with that. You know, acute renal failure, not so much. So there's many, many, many diseases, degenerative myelopathy in dogs that German shepherds get a lot, different types of cancers. So there's there's conditions that, that I call non-imminent. So they're just going to, they're going to go on for a long time. And in those conditions, you have the blessing and the curse of time because you have the blessing of being able to have many, many days and months with them, you know, potentially years. Mm-hmm. And then the, the curse in, in that, you know, towards the end, you're going to wake up for weeks and months thinking is today the day, is today the day. And, you know, so it's, it's emotionally takes its toll, but then you have non-imminent conditions, which are kind of, there's like a cliff and they're going to mm-hmm. be fine until the second that they aren't. And when that happens, you have minutes to maybe hours at most, you know, to do something. And so those, those conditions are different. So if I'm working with a family that has a 16 year old dog, you know, with congestive heart failure and they want every, every last moment they can possibly have with their dog, I need to explain to them, like, you might be risking an emergency situation if you wait too long. Right. You know, if we, if we make the decision sooner rather than later, so sooner than you want to, I can guarantee you a peaceful passing, just like what you Mm -hmm. went through with, you know, what Dan went through, I can guarantee you that that can happen. If we make the decision, it's going to be sooner than you want. But Mm -hmm. if you wait too long, that decision gets taken from you and you will no longer have that option. You'll be driving to the emergency room at two o'clock in the morning, which is why I started lap in the first place so that you don't have to do that. Yeah. So there's different, you know, but I don't have to say that necessarily to somebody that has advanced arthritis that's just going to, it's going to string out for a long time. There's a lot of different cancers like that as well. Osteosarcoma, um, uh, uh, bone marrow, um, hemangiosarcoma, very, very common, different types of um, seizure, um, you know, epilepsy and things like that. So it, it really, the best thing I can tell you is anything to do with the heart, lungs, or the brain is probably going to be a bit of a cliff condition. And almost anything else, there are, there are, you know, outliers there. Almost anything else is probably going to, you're going to have a little bit longer. But um, it's very, very dependent though on the, on the, like I said, obviously the disease, but the pet's personality too. So a chihuahua is going to handle things differently than, you know, than a a German shepherd and cats handed things very differently than a dog's. Mm -hmm. Then the last part of that is the, is the, um, uh, the owner's personality as well. You know, what Mm -hmm. do you want? Some people are like, my worst fear is coming home and finding him dead. I don't care what we do. We're going to make sure that that does not happen. (laughs) Right. And then some people are like, I would love to come home and find him pass away because then I don't have to make the decision. So then (laughs) I have to say like, but let's think about that for a second. Cause that happened to me in my childhood dog. We came home and she was in her crate, passed away. And like, as much as I hear you on that, there's also like, was she in pain? Was she worried about Mm -hmm. us? Like, did it take a long time? You know, I was gone for three hours. Like there's a lot of questions. And, but when you do it like this, there's no question. There's no question. You don't make up stories in your mind about what happened or didn't happen. It's like this guaranteed experience, you know, that's going to be beautiful and peaceful and hard as heck, you know, but as good as it can possibly be. Yeah. So, and the last thing I'm, listen, I can talk forever. I know. The last (laughs) thing I'll tell you about, about this, how I know it's time is, um, Number one, everyone thinks that there's one moment, but really mm-hmm. there's a subjective period of time and when it, it's a good decision. And before yeah. which veterinarians are going to refuse to euthanize because quality of life exists. And after which we're going to insist on euthanizing because there's sustained suffering. That happens in the mm-hmm. ER. 
But the greater subjective period of time in the middle is, you know, some people like to make the decision sooner. Some people like to make the decision later. I'll tell you, the more times you go through the loss of a pet, the sooner you make the decision. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because at the beginning, all of us, even us veterinarians, you know, and typically younger people, we just want to hold on. And we have this altruistic, you know, vision of what it's going to be like. We're going to fight through it and that kind of thing. But sometimes, you know, once you've been through that experience, you know that death is going to happen no matter what. And we do have the ability to make this a a peaceful experience. Yeah. I mean, so my dog, Ozzy, I got him when I was 18. So I was living at home. And then he's moved with me throughout my life, uh, lived 15 years. And he, he had, it was kind of that same thing where it's like, the last few months, he had long-term, he had a heart murmur, he had Cushing's disease, like his liver was going. And the last few months, it was clear to me, like, the end is near. And every every day I'd wake up, like, is today the day? Is today the day? Mm-hmm. My mom was on the other side, like, it would be so great if he just died in his sleep. I was like, would that be great, though? I don't know that that would be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and she... I. It's it's funny. I mean, she loved him just as much as I did. Um, but she she was hanging on almost more than I was. She's yeah. like, he seems fine. I'm like, you don't see him all day long. Yeah. He's not fine. Um, but it was beautiful because because they were they were able to be here with me too. My parents came and they got to say goodbye to him too. So it was nice. That's really nice. You know, and it it, it happens a lot with uh, like a husband and wife, you know, couples or just couples mm-hmm. in general. It's the one that stays home and does the nursing care. That's like, he's ready. I'm ready. We're ready. Mm -hmm. But it's the one that travels back and forth and isn't there all the time that Mm -hmm. says, you know, no, we're going to hang on. And, you know, in in the majority of the time, nine out of 10 times, it's the wife that's doing the the nursing care on a day-to-day basis. And it's the husband that's traveling or, you know, gone during the day or whatever. So that's always a very interesting conversation when I walk in, you know, and have to bring everybody on the same page. My dog Teddy is going through something right now. What is it, you ask? It's the true blue effect, which is all the benefits your dog could experience from the key ingredients in blue life protection formula. I'm talking healthy coat, strong bones, muscle development, immune system health, great digestion, strong joints, and lots and lots of energy. Try the blue life protection formula now and see if your dog benefits from the true blue effect. It's tough, but everybody ultimately, my whole family, everybody who's known and loved Ozzy, they got to say goodbye to him, and it was it was beautiful. It was wonderful. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about you mentioned before, and this kind of ties into what we were just talking about: the guilt uh, that a, a pet parent goes through in making the end of life decision. Like, uh, what if it's not the right? What if he could live? What if she could live for a little bit longer? And I'm taking that away from him or her, or you know any kind of guilt that a pet parent feels, oh, I could have done something sooner. I could have done something more. How do you, how do you recommend or help pet parents deal with that? Yeah. And that's, that's why you need the right veterinarian helping you through the process because there's always going to be some guilt associated with this. They're, they're just, even, even myself and my own decisions, there's always some level of guilt. But what we need to do is help understand that, you know, what was possible and and what's not possible. Sometimes we think that, okay, if I had more money, I would have saved him. If I had more time, if I was able to give him the medication, if he, you know, wasn't such a tough dog to, you know, to handle, it would be easier, whatever. 
but it's it i think that it's really in it is the responsibility of the the veterinarian that helps you through it to explain what's again what the alternative options are and once mm-hmm. we've gotten to the euthanasia option there are no other alternatives there are no other reasonable alternatives and um and so i take it upon myself to make sure that i help families through that and help them understand that this is the best option that we have. Um, so I think that that's a really big part of it. But it, it you know, on the other side, it's, it's just as human beings understanding that we're doing our best. We're doing our very best. This is the very best that this pet can have. And even if it meant like that you didn't go to the veterinarian every single year or whatever, right? Like that's, these are ambiguous, you know, things yeah. and check boxes that we've decided as human beings that we should have. But <laughs> in reality, like, did you love your pet? Did you do your best? Not, not, not your neighbor's best, not your mom and dad's best, like your best given your life right now. And did you, at the end of the day, did you just love them? Mm-hmm. And if nothing else, you know, ha- ha- is there then, and of course, if there was no love, you wouldn't feel guilt in the first place. Right. So I think that that's the, the main thing of just getting past. And it's not just the the loss of a pet, but I mean, that's just life in general is getting through life and knowing that you did your best and not, not bringing on the, that guilt, you know, into your life because it does, does nothing for you moving forward. Yeah, for sure. And along with guilt, obviously comes, you know, grief. Yeah. You grieve the life of your pet even before necessarily you put them down. Like I was grieving Ozzy before he was gone. Like I knew he was going. So I was like, (laughs) I'm already grieving you, buddy. Um, So how do you help pet parents deal with the grieving process before, during, and after? I, you know, the grieving process, and it's, it's funny as veterinarians, people ask that question, you know, a lot, obviously, and like, well, how do you help people? And I'm like, we, we do the best we can. And we, we, we offer the very best euthanasia and the very best experience and end of life. And that's the biggest gift that we can give the family. But yeah. the grief is something that you, that it's, it's self-work. It's nothing that I can do for anybody else, right? All I can do is make sure that I did, that I provided the best environment for a family to experience their grief in a healthy way. You know, mm-hmm. and being in the home is a huge part of that to me is I'm walking into somebody's bed bedroom sometimes, you know, we're euthanizing the dog or cat on their bedroom, on, on their bed. And yeah. I leave and I, I've always been, you know, if I, if I perform the euthanasia, I always say to the family, I'll show myself out. You mm-hmm. stay here. So obviously I stay, you know, as long as I, I need to. And then I leave and I, I, that family doesn't need to walk me to the door or anything. You as a family stay where you need to be and go through that grieving process together. And to me, that's just one of the, the, the biggest components of that is just being the family being together in their own environment having a glass of wine together, you know, whatever it is. But, um, but other than that, I mean, obviously, you know, there are other things that people can do. And when COVID hit, we actually, we started our own um, uh, grief support, uh, pet mm-hmm. loss support department. And so it was very big and very important for me personally that people um, were, had somewhere to go with short notice. So yeah. we have seven days a week, I think almost seven days a week, we have one, sometimes multiple uh, Zoom support groups that people can just log on to and join. So mm-hmm. you go to our website, Lap of Love, you'll find the pet loss support tab and you just sign up for the, the the Zooms and it can even be same day. And then you are sent the link 
and you can just join and just be reminded that you're not nor you're not abnormal, right? Like mm-hmm. just being surrounded by other people that are experiencing the loss and grief. You're like, okay, it's not just a dog to me, you know. Right. It, this really was a, a big thing that me and a lot of other people are going through. And then aside from that, we have small groups as well for families that just need a little bit more. They just need mm-hmm. more stuff. And then of course we have one-on-one coaching also. So all of that stuff is on our website. And there are a few other companies that do virtual stuff, none that have reached the scale that we have. And obviously whether or not we perform the euthanasia or not, anyone can use these services, anyone. Yeah. Um, and again, the, the, the support groups are for completely for free. And that's always been something really big for us. So, but, you know, getting back to your point, like the, the, the grief, grief is something that only we can do. You know, mm-hmm. you, you walk through it on your own, you experience it on your own, you remember it and you eventually just are able to acclimate back to life again. And your life's never the same. It's never going to be right. the same, you know, but you just rejoin, you know, the world in that, in your new capacity. And a lot of people mentioned to me like, oh, you know, you got to take some time to grieve the loss of your pet. And then other people are like, you're ready for another dog now, right? Like you, 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 yeah. you can have one now. I'm like, and I, I think there's like all these questions, like what's the appropriate amount of time before yeah. I get a new pet? And I'm just like, I think it's the same thing. Everybody's going to be a little bit different. It's what you're ready for. Everybody's different. And I got, I, there's a lot of my clients that I'll go to euthanize and they literally say that they're like, we knew this was coming two years ago. We went out and got another puppy. So they have another puppy because they like cannot be without a dog. Right. (laughs) And so it, it like it, oh, they overlap each one, you know? And then there's people that are like, we need a year off. And then there's Mm -hmm. the people that are like really extreme that say, I'm never getting another dog. This one there, (laughs) you know? And so then I look at them, I'm like, don't say that right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like you are the type of person that needs to have a dog, not for your, not for you, but for us people that love animals, like you need, <laughs> there are lots of animals in this world and you need to have one of them because mm-hmm. you're a wonderful pet mom, you know? So like, I, I'm like, don't say that right now. It's like a terrible time to say that. Just, just, you know, just grieve and get through. And sometimes people go out the next day, you know? And then when there's kids in the, in the appointment, the kids are like, when are we getting another dog? I never like yep. this cat anyway. Can we get a new one? Can we get a white one this time? You know, <laughs> they say that's the craziest things. It's, it's so funny. But yeah, I think it's it's different for everybody and there's no right or wrong answer to any of this. And I think that it's also important to be able to, you mentioned this at the beginning, to find the humor, to find the joy, to find the the good things about your pet, about your pet's life and about the end of their life. From for a personal story, like I mentioned, I got Ozzy when I was 18. I was living with my parents. My dad is not an animal person. He doesn't care about animals or particularly like them. Um, but at the end of the day, he does love, you know, my pets. He loves Ozzy or he loved Ozzy. Like he <laughs> he comes around. Yeah. But, you know, my mom and I were talking, you know, oh, Ozzy was such a great dog. He was the best. There'll never be another Ozzy. And my dad just sits there and he's like, yeah, he was okay. <laughs> we're just like... <laughs> Thank you for that assessment. Glad that he got an okay from dad. Right. Cool. Amazing. Right. Oh, that's so cute though. I love that. <laughs> um, yeah, he was okay. <laughs> so I think there is, you got to be able to to have those moments of levity about the whole thing. And and how can, how what have you seen in that vein of being able to just sit there and, and be okay and be able to laugh and know that you're not like doing a disservice to your pet? You know, it's, it's a, I mean, my, my position's easy, 
you know, I've been in, I've been in the position of a pet parent before, which is just terrible and hard. Um, I'll tell you one really funny story. So one time I was euthanizing this, this cat and it was on the kitchen, the kitchen table in this lady's Hmm. home here in Palm Harbor, Florida. And the cat, um, so the the one cat died, you know, I, I euthanized him. It was perfect and yada, yada. So we're sitting there and I'm just chatting with her for a little bit. And this other cat comes out of nowhere, walks up to the deceased cat and slaps him, you know, like hisses and slaps him and then walks away. And the owner's, the owner's like, he's wanted to do that his entire life. This cat that died is the bully and he was so mean to everybody. And so this other one just came up and just smacked him, you know, and I was, I was like, oh. <laughs> it's the owner's humor that makes uh-huh. it so she was so just just blatant about it you know and it, oh my god it was it was so funny and then this one other time this um I had euthanized the one dog and then the other dog mm-hmm. walked across the dead dog's body mm-hmm. and started eating and the owner was like he was bona fide mad he's like how could she eat at a time like this this is just <laughs> awful you know he's so mad at his dog for eating and I'm like, they they don't think about it the same way. Like, they're okay <laughs> right. with this. You know, we're the mm-hmm. ones that have a problem, right? Where are we going? Is there a God? Are we go like, yeah. will, will I see him again? You know, we have these questions. Like, these dogs don't have these questions. Like, they're just, mm-hmm. at least I don't think they, they do. Like, they're just in the moment. They're fully right. and completely present in the moment. And yeah, there are some dogs that, and cats also, that will react to you know, their housemate, you know, dying, obviously Mm -hmm. there's, but there's just like, there's a lot of different human reactions. There's a lot of different animal reactions. So you don't always know how they're going to react, but typically just like the the cat situation, you know, when you, if you have an alpha and a beta, for example, (laughs) those lines can be very blurry. If you lose an alpha, many times you will actually see changes in the beta because the alpha is who, what kept the beta acting a certain way. Right. So you lose the alpha. Now, sometimes you do see change in the beta, but if you lose a beta, sometimes the alpha doesn't care at all, right? Like there's right. no changes at all and you don't see anything. Sometimes these animals just react more to our grief than their own. I mean, I remember I was sick one time and like in bed for three days and my dog was laying next to me for three days. You know, had I been like consciously aware of it, I'm like, oh my gosh, my dog didn't eat in three days. Well, she mm-hmm. didn't because she was with me the whole time. Right. So, you know, I, there, I knew there's nothing wrong with her, but there's, there's just, is we, we anthropomorphize things so much sometimes to our own detriment, you know, and mm-hmm. forget that these animals have, they're much more, much more in tune with spirituality than we are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you brought up other pets because I did want to ask about that. So I'm glad that we can kind of come to the conclusion like, okay, yeah, the pets might be a little bit different. They might they grieve in some way, but otherwise yeah. if they act like nothing happened, that's fine. They're okay. <laughs> Trust me. They are, they, they're better than you and me, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, this has been such an important and helpful conversation. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on that we should touch on anything that you would, you would want to say to pet parents uh, who are going through this now or, you know, are looking toward the future and be like, well, eventually we'll go through this. There's there's one other thing that I'll leave you and it it ties back to, you know, the question of how will I know it's time, which is obviously the most important question that we answer, right? And we have videos on our website that you can look at when, you know, you're up in the middle of the night trying to decide and Googling (laughs) what to do. Um, but the one last thing I'll leave you with is, is that there's, there's the four budgets of the families and everyone always talks about the quality of life of the pet, which is obviously very important, 
but the family's quality of life is important as well. Mm-hmm. And so there's four budgets we talk about. Number one is the monetary budget, you know, money. Obviously everyone understands that, right? If, I, yeah. if you can't afford to do the things that you need to do for your pet's quality of life, like everyone gets that and you, but you mm-hmm. should not feel guilty about that either. But number two is um, the time. So maybe a veterinarian is telling you, okay, you've got a cat with chronic renal failure, bring them into my clinic twice a week and we'll do some subcutaneous fluids. You know, they'll just put fluids mm-hmm. under the skin and then it just helps their body continue to clear out toxins, almost like a dialysis in kind of a way. Yeah. You know, and you might think, okay, well, I can, I, I could like in theory afford to do that, but I can't, you know, single mom with four kids. Like I, I mean, I have, I have four, almost five kids and like, yeah doing anything twice a week is incredibly <laughs> difficult for me. Yeah. You know, so maybe you can afford it, but like, it's just the time, you know, to do it. So that's like a very important thing. Cause not everyone has the time to just nurse their pet through anything. Right. The third budget is the physical budget. So I actually had a client that had rheumatoid arthritis, you know, a mm-hmm. younger woman, but she could not actually physically give her cat injections. Or yeah. if she had had a dog with pills, she wouldn't be able to physically give her dog pills. So that's a really important thing too, is managing animals. You know, you, you might be able to manage your pet through, through something, but what if you physically can't do it and right. physically moving a great Dane is very different than physically moving a Chihuahua, right? It's just yeah. very different. So that's a huge component of making the decisions of when to euthanize. And then the last one, the most important one is the emotional component as well. So there's, um, you know, th- like we said before, our animals mean something. So they just mean like, you know, there's, they're so meaningful to us that we don't even comprehend it sometimes. Yeah. And a lot of times these animals, you know, the last thing people had of their mother, of their father, of their husband, wife, a child that has since right. died, you know, there are these, these things that they represent. And sometimes that means people hang on a little bit too long because they're just scared to lose it again. And then sometimes that means that they just really want to make the decision sooner because it's just such an emotional roller coaster that, mm-hmm. you know, just going through the process of loss. So I think it kind of goes back to that subjective period of time where, you know, get the right doctor that can help you through that decision-making process, because you may, you may need and want to do it sooner. You may need and want to do it later. And both of them are okay. Both of those are okay. That would, no, that's incredibly helpful because I think people don't think about that. Like with Ozzy, I was, I physically had to carry him up and down like my front steps every day. So he could go out to go to the bathroom because he couldn't walk up the steps anymore. Some, a lot of people don't have that physical capacity. So those are things that I think are important to remember and think about. Yeah. All right, two things before we wrap up. The first being, where would you like to direct people to learn more about you, uh, about Lap of Love, resources that they can find? Lapoflove.com is, we have everything. You know, we, we have videos and everything. And I have a book coming out at the end of the year, hopefully in Q3, Q4 of this year, that's a veterinarian's guide to your pet's end of life. So finally dumping all this stuff in my brain (laughs) into a book and kind of getting it out there. So that'll be a good resource when it's out there too. My my veterinary, uh, my business partner, um, she has another book out there as well that's much more like scientifically oriented and it's a wonderful resource also. So there's a lot of things out there that we put out um, just for resource and education and things you can click and read and listen to short little clips that just to get information when you need it. Nice. Perfect. And the last thing, a fun thing. Yeah. Maybe this might be the hardest question of all. I mean, some people have struggled with this one, but here we go. If you could be any animal, what animal would you be? What would be your favorite activity? Does it have to be a real or can it be mythological? 
you take it wherever you want to take it. I mean, I grew up with horses, so I just always thought they're so majestic, but they're kind of dumb at the same time. (laughs) I've been riding horses my whole life. So So you know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Horse people know what I mean. Like they're not the smartest animals. They're they're amazing and also so stupid and annoying. They are. You're exactly. I just, I just love them so much. So always a horse, but then like mythological, I would just be loved to be a flying, like a Pegasus, right? Like that'd Mm -hmm. be the best. Be a flying horse, be most amazing. So yeah, I think that or like a dolphin. If it had to be water, Mm -hmm. it'd be dolphin because they just look so smart and amazing. Perfect. Amazing. Dr. Danny, thank you so much for, for hopping on here with all of this knowledge, this information. So important. And I'm glad we had this chat. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to Life with Pets, the show that combines real pet stories with proven guidance from pet professionals. I'm your host, Hillary Georgie, and I hope this show has been a great resource for you as a pet parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to download the Buddies app. This episode was produced by the team at mission.org. Mission.org.